year seven and eights, you're going to go. Have a great time. Don't trash the tennis club. We need their help. If you do, clean it up when you're done. Have a great time. All right. Hey, so um, just wanted to say, so, so this is the, the last Sunday that we're going to be, um, not the last Sunday we're going to be looking at Jesus. Hopefully we do that every, every Sunday. But um, the last Sunday of, of our Jesus series, which for many of you know um, had been around, we've had some incredible people um, speaking. And I just wanted to start by saying thanking those people who have been part of this series. I haven't spoken for ages, which as in hindsight, it's been too long because I'm actually really nervous about being up here again. It's one of those things when you haven't ridden a bike for a while, you're a bit like, oh, shoot. Um, so I'm sure it'll be all right. And if it isn't, you've got sausages to remember about it as opposed to a really average message. But thank you to everyone who, who was, took part in the, in the Jesus series. I really do genuinely believe that the series is better for it. And actually, to be honest, all of us have got a clearer picture of who Jesus is because of those people, different people bringing a different perspective, bringing a different understanding, their own experiences, their own unique way of of being in relationship with Jesus. So, so well done um, to all of those people. Give them a big round of applause. If you haven't been to some of them, they're all online. They really, really are genuinely worthwhile having a listen, listen to it. And really the framework of this series was looking at scripture where Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Jesus was asking his disciples that. And if you are here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus, um, we would do well, you would do well, um, to have your own answer to that question. Imagine Jesus looking at you and saying, but who do you say that I am? And, and not only having an answer, we would do well never to stop asking the question. I think as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, that's a question that we need to keep coming back to over and over and over again. That, that to have, to have a, and, and there are truths that, that span time, but, but to have a limited or a very boxed-in answer to that question is to miss out on the richness and the beauty and all that Jesus has, the more that he has for each of us. So let that be our challenge, or my challenge to you as we, as we go forward, is keep asking yourself, keep asking Jesus, you know, imagining him asking you, but who do you say that I am? Um, I can't think of a better way. I mean, many of you who know me will, will know that we are, next week is the beginning of Advent, and it is my absolute favorite time of year. And I, I didn't plan it this way, but I just, looking back, I think, what an incredible way to prepare for the Advent season than to focus our attention on the incredible aspects of who Jesus is, of what, what he's like. You know, and I'm so excited this year that as, we've, as we get ready for Advent, we're, we're doing so with a more robust understanding of who Jesus is. Hopefully through this series, you've become more awestruck, have a more awestruck vision of who Jesus is. My hope is that we have fallen more in love with Jesus, who is more beautiful, 
who is kinder, more gracious, more forgiving than we could ever grasp this side of eternity. I love the fact that we, we get to join in with more than 2,000 years of history of men and women whose lives have been changed and lives are being changed by this man, Jesus, who in the tension of it all, is scripture says, is both fully God and fully man. That we get to join in, in with the struggles, the hardships of aligning our lives, aligning our thoughts, aligning our money and our possessions, aligning our relationships and our actions with the teachings of Jesus. Teachings, by the way, that aren't helpful hints. They're not somewhat beneficial suggestions. They're commandments. And as we look at those commandments, we have, as I've said, the struggle of somehow our lives shifting and aligning and changing and we turn from the things that maybe we want to do to the things that he commands us to do and we fall more in love with him every time we do that. We share in the celebrations of those moments as followers of Jesus when, when the power and the presence of God's kingdom breaks in. As can anyone relate? You know, those moments in life where, where all of the brokenness or some of the brokenness, some of the sickness, some of the oppression that we see in the here and now, God's kingdom breaks in and it's changed. And for a moment, and maybe just for a moment, we see what heaven will look like. We get a glimpse of what heaven is here and now. And we get to add our voice. This is in our, in our Advent series. We get to add our voice. We get to lean into the longing of 2,000 plus years of of followers, of people longing for the Messiah. We get the privilege of knowing it's the Messiah who's come, but what we long for is the Messiah who's going to come again. And this time when he comes, he's bringing all of heaven with him. And everything is being put to right. One person is excited about that. The rest of you are still not too sure. So as I said, we started our series on Jesus. I've got a, a slide too um, of that photo. Jenny, if you don't mind getting that ready to go, just the slide and then I'll play the video later. Um, but like I said, we, we started this series by um, looking at Matthew 16 where Jesus asked um, his followers, so who do people say that I am? And you get varying answers in that. And then he said to his disciples, he said to his followers, but who do you say that I am? And, and the truth is that, that 2,000 plus years later, we're always answering those questions. We're answering that question by our one, by our words, but we're answering the question of who do you say that I am through our actions, through our thoughts, 
through the way we see others, through the way that we see ourselves. And, and throughout Scripture, we've seen um, each of us, well, sorry, so for each of us, we demonstrate um, who we believe Jesus to be by all of those things, by the way that we think, by the things that we do. Um, and throughout Scripture, there are people who are answering those questions. There are, we've seen it in our, in our series. We had, when I sent the, the bio out for, for the um, preaching um, series, there's, there's just a massive list throughout Scripture that the Bible says, this is what Jesus is like. There's lots of examples, lots of word pictures. We see it in the Psalms, we hear it in the Proverbs, in the Old Testament, and then really in the Apostles' writings in the New Testament, in the Gospel, and in really in the Gospel, Jesus' own words. Jesus telling people, this is who I am. You know, look at me, and this is what God is like. And back in, in July, if you can remember back then, which is my birthday, so if you want to get out your phones, July 2nd is Lyndon's birthday, but um, uh, no one's picked up their phone at all. Um, but back in July for my birthday, I, I drug Angela along to the Auckland Art Gallery. I think he did it somewhat willingly, maybe not, um, but there was a brilliant brilliant exhibition at the Auckland Art Gallery called Heavenly Beings. And what it was was a collection of um, Christian icons from the 14th to the 19th century. I can see you're all thinking, shoot, I missed it! Like, oh man! But it really was. It was incredible. Um, and so I wanted to share a photo. If you can turn the lights off, that'd be cool. And then if we have that first slide um, of, of this, which is the icon that, um, that really, of, of all of them, there was, there was definitely a, a couple of hundred in the collection, but this one was, is, was really only about, about that big. And as we were sort of going around the gallery, um, funny enough, we were one of the only few people there. So, <laughs> um, But this particular icon grabbed my attention, and I just it's going to be the framework of, of my message this morning. And so before I go forward, I just wanted to give a little bit of context and, and sort of information around really what icons are. Um, they're really, really general, but what an icon is is generally um, they have their origins in the Eastern Orthodox or, or um, Catholic traditions. There's some traditions of the Catholic faith, um, but, but certainly from the Eastern Orthodox tradition. And they are, um, they're more than works of art. They are, um, with, with an icon, they're considered to be written, not painted. So, so with an icon, they, they t they're a tool for, for many people that leads um, to a, a devotion or a, or a nearness to Jesus. They remind us of, of who Jesus is, of encounters with Jesus. Um, and they also remind us or, or remind people of the saints who have gone before. A lot of icons painted around people who have been martyred, who have, who have um, willingly surrendered their life for the cause of Christ. Um, 
Some of the things that are about it, they are, they're really, they, so many of the icons tell the story of the Bible without using words. So imagine in, in earlier centuries where the vast majority of, of the population are illiterate, where reading the Bible isn't, isn't an option, and even the availability of the Bible. Imagine being able to look at images and being able to read scripture without being able to read. Um, the thing about these icons is, as I say, they're written and then they're reproduced to a very set standard. Imagine like your Bible translation, if, if you have an NIV version and, and, then, and you have an NIV version, there's, there's, there's actually, they're the same. And so with icons, they're written with, a, with the same exactness to it. That everything in that icon is there for a reason and there's a depth of meaning to icons that are so so much more than surface level, which I love because it's the same as Scripture. You know, you can read Scripture and there's a depth of meaning depending on your life situation, where you're at, what it means, how far you dig into it, what you look at it. And the other thing about icons, which I really like too, is, is that there's... Um, the way they are written today, and there are still, there's still an iconographer in Tekapuna, believe it of all places, who, who is still writing icons to the exact standard that those icons were written in the 13th century. The paints are made the same, the gold leaf is applied the same, the lacquers, the product that is put onto is done the same way. And so, so that's your history lesson. I invite you, one of the most profound silent retreats I've ever done was on another, was based around the icon of the Trinity and the invitation of, of, the, of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, inviting you into, into hospitality with the Trinity. And it was all centered around an icon that was, that was written in the 14th century. Beautiful. Um, so, love it. So that's, that's your icon lesson. And so I, I was sort of wandering it through. So what this icon is, is Jesus with the gold halo and, and the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And the three bemused people at the back are the, just some of the disciples. And so, as we were kind of wandering around, and Angela will tell you, this by no means was kind of the one that was the most extravagant. There are, most icons are, are, are written on, on wooden panels. Um, and like I say, this one was really only about that big. But there were some beautiful ones. But this one, as I say, just, just jumped out at me. Um, I, I think, you know, sort of, I'm a, I'm a naturally a visual person. Something about what I, something I can see is just so, so profound and it really sparks my imagination. So, and if you're like that, maybe it's just sort of thinking about um, how, how icons could be part of your faith journey because they are really lovely. And so, I'm Niall actually used an icon last, last week, except he called it a funny photo of Jesus in a tree which my heart was slightly broken. <laughs> but um, we all know now more of what, what it is. Um, and so, um, and, and that was a, a true, that was Jesus, Christ in the true vine, um, which is what he showed last week, which again was a 16th century um, icon. 
And so, so of this, um, of really the, the bit of time that we have left, I want to actually speak about um, this encounter of, and, and have in the back of your mind, um, who, do, who do you say that I am? As we, as we really just take some time to consider this encounter with the Samaritan woman and Jesus. You know, I just sort of thought, wow, what, what is it about it? You know, like we, we, hopefully many of us have read through the Gospels, like there are so many encounters that people have had with Jesus throughout the Gospels. And for, for this one to be one that someone decided it was so pivotal that, we're going, that, that an icon is going to be written about it and, and reproduced for the last, since the last, you know, since the 14th century, over and over and over again. What is it about this encounter that we're going to see in a minute that, that actually has value, that can speak to, to us, can answer that question again of who do you say that I am? And as I said, it grabbed my attention. And as, as, like I said too, it's Jesus um, at Jacob's well with a Samaritan woman um, talking to, to the woman, and many of us know, we've been told, um, you know, not only a woman, not only a Samaritan, but what? What about her? A woman with a bad reputation. You know, we've all heard that. Um, I'm going to speak into that a little bit as well, because, anyway, you'll find out. Um, so, this is normally where we'd say, um, open your Bibles, open a device, we're going to go to... Um, John's Gospel, chapter 4. Um, but I'm going to do something a little bit different. You know, I've, I've been off for so long, my creative juices have been able to flow. So we're actually going to watch um, John chapter 4. So if we can get that video um, ready. They say pictures are worth a thousand words. It might be a little bit confronting because Jesus, the, the Jesus of your imagination might be a little bit different than this Jesus. But there are actually some really, really wonderful things. This is taken from the movie um, Chosen. Um, so this is really just straight out of John chapter 4. Give me a drink. Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, would you ask her to drink for me as a medicine? And a woman? I'm sorry. I should have said please. Can we turn up a little bit? You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come with you in the heat. So you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would? 
except that you have nothing to throw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him, even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sort this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. 
You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> hey, wait! Your water! You forgot your um. Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? <laughs> Great. So what does this have to say about Jesus? Um, as it mentioned in there, um, in Scripture, this... Samaritan woman with, a, with quite the reputation was the very first person that Jesus explicitly said, told he, um, who he was, that he was the Messiah. And, and if we look at Scripture itself, who was the first person to know that God was actually coming to earth as a baby? It's a question. Mary. There we go. A poor young woman. Who was the first person to be told that Jesus had risen again from the dead? Another woman. So what does this say about Jesus? If you have an important message, tell a woman. <laughs> Jesus or God, both the same, um, pays no regard to the social structures that are built to dehumanize and marginalize people based on their race, their gender, or their ethnicity. That's what it says about who Jesus is. That's what it says about who God is. You know, the church, if we are followers of Jesus, should be one of the loudest most passionate proponents of women in our society, of all that they have to offer, of all that they are to, to us as a people. Um, that This place could be or should be an environment where they have the space and the freedom to be everything that God has made them to be.
I thought that would at least get a woohoo by half the room at least. <laughs> Tough crowd. But there is, there is actually so much more to this story. Um, how many of you know who that woman is? Has anyone ever heard? Do you know that we know who she is? It's, it's a sad indictment I have found in my own personal upbringing of faith that, that and I'm going to tell her story now because it is deeply, incredibly encouraging. Um, so we actually know who she is. We can flick a light on maybe. Um, there is so much more to this story. That's why I loved about this video was even just the glimpse of I grew up, basically the only thing you needed to know about her was she was a woman with a really bad reputation who slept around, who just did whatever she wanted to do, and that was it. I mean, the thing about, and I thought that video did a great job of, of referring to, is remember in the first century, women were essentially property. That, that who she was, was she was the victim of a society that devalued women to the point of just an object. That she didn't just go where she wanted to and do what she wanted to do and was proud of it. Like she was someone who, who was deeply wounded. And, and the reputation that she had was one that stayed with her in every sphere, every aspect of her life, of her daily life. That she, there was no escaping it. The best she could hope for was to go in the heat of the day and not face the ridicule that would have been guaranteed guaranteed everywhere she went, every person that laid eyes on her. That was her reality. But there's something about that conversation with that man, Jesus, who was the Messiah that changed her life forever. And what we know is when we look back into history, um, is that that woman, after that encounter, after her conversion, after her baptism, was baptized with the name Photinia. And I want to tell the story in the little bit of time that we have left of, of that woman, Photinia, which means the enlightened one or the one who has seen. Um, she was so impacted by that encounter that she spent the rest of her life um, spreading the message of Jesus. She, in, in church history, especially in the Orthodox tradition, is given the title equal to that of the apostles. So the 12 apostles of Jesus, and she's right up there with them. Her life was so radically changed, and, and she was such an incredible voice, an incredible um, at spreading the message of the gospel, of the good news of who Jesus is, that she was given that title. She never stopped telling others about the man who told her about everything she did in her life. 
and so incredibly um, influential throughout her time. She converted her five sisters and, and her two sons to, to be followers of Jesus, and they together traveled around and told people all about Jesus. The, it became so, um, I guess, notorious that she became the attention, or was the attention of her was drawn to um, the Roman emperor at the time, Nero, who was uh, of within throughout church history. We know there's been there's been definitely um, seasons of persecution throughout the early church history, but under Nero, it was about as bad as it ever got. And so Photinia was, some, some say she went to him, others say she was summoned. Um, but however it worked out is um, when she found herself face to face with Nero, the most powerful man on the earth, um, her, her only thing she had to say to him was pleaded with him to renounce his foolishness and accept Christ as the only king of the world. You can imagine how that went down. Um, and so, so really what followed was, I think, some again, some say three years, some say five years of arrest, of torture, um, I'm going to spare, I kind of went through as sort of you read and you think, I'm going to spare you the details, but, but know that, that no empire in the history of the world was better at torture than the Roman Empire. And so imagine the worst that one human being could do to another. And so um, the, her, her five sisters, and her two sons were subjected to the worst that Rome had to offer. And again, time after time, she was brought back to, to um, Nero, the emperor. And time and time again, she pleaded with him to renounce his foolishness and accept Jesus. Um, at one point after the torture um, didn't do, have any effect, um, Nero sent his daughter with her whole entourage of follower, of, of servants and helpers um, to try to speak sense into her. And, and as, as it goes... Um, the Potinius response was to um, convert the, Nero's daughter and her entire household to followers of Jesus. And so Nero's response was to have all four, all five of Potinius' sisters beheaded after, after incredible torture. Her two sons were killed as well. And Potinius was again beaten and subjected to awful, awful torture. Um, and thrown into a well. And then after a, a considerable amount of time, brought back up again, where once again, she, um, one report says she um, spat in the face of Nero when he suggested she would be ready to renounce um, this, this man, Jesus. And so her, her life ended with a, another severe beating and being bound and thrown into a well. I can't help but think that's because she wouldn't stop talking about that encounter of meeting a man at a well who told her everything about her life. So who, who, um, do, you, who do you say that I am, Jesus asks. And this morning, I would just like us to be encouraged that that's only one story 
of thousands and thousands and thousands of saints who have gone before, whose lives have been incredibly changed by meeting Jesus. And this morning, I'd like for us, why don't we stand, but I'd like for us to, or I'm going to pray, particularly this morning, I felt I'd love to pray for the women in the room. That, that yes, we've had 2,000 years of, of culture shifting and changing and moving, and yet, and yet women are still overlooked. They are still treated with, with um, a disregard that is so far from what God is like. And I'd love to pray. Well, I'm going to pray now. For Father, I thank you for the incredible women that are standing in the room right now. And Jesus, I thank you for all that you see in them. Like with Photinia, you saw her, but I believe you saw her as a woman who is willing to go to the ends of the earth, that is willing to endure everything for the sake of the message of the kingdom of God. That's who you saw at that well that Jacob dug. Not a woman with a bad reputation, not something that society had put on her, but something that you knew was in her from the very beginning. And Jesus, I pray for the women that are standing here today that you would remind them of how you see them. That you would stir within them the incredible gifts and talents that you've placed within them at the foundation of the earth. And those who are longing for more in their life, Jesus, would you come and would you reveal yourself of the more? For those who are longing to see a shift and a change in their life and the lives of the people they know and love, would you come, Jesus, and be that shift right now? Would you be that change right now? And Jesus, would you come and you, would you tear down the barriers that are designed to hold them back? Whether that's barriers in their own thoughts, in their own minds, or the barriers that genuinely, truly exist in the world today. Jesus, would you come, would your kingdom come, and would those things be torn down now in your name? Father, I pray for, for encounters for the days and the weeks and months and years ahead of each woman that's standing in this room right now where they meet you like they genuinely meet you. And I pray 
for lives that are never the same again. For some of you, I believe that Jesus is wanting to shift the trajectory of of the lineage of your family. That just because your mother did something or your grandmother or your great-grandmother or your great-great-grandmother, that there is something going to shift and break that is not going to be your experience. It's not going to be your daughter's experience. It's not going to be your granddaughter's experience. That, that Jesus, your encounter with Jesus, is going to shift the line of your family. And it's going to start with you. And it's going to be because that's who Jesus is. That's what God is like. That you're going to be able to look back and see that shift. And that shift is going to point to a God who loves you. Who sees you for who you really are. Maybe not the mistakes you've made or the mistakes of of generations before. That's who Jesus is. That's what God's like. And in your graciousness and goodness, God, I pray all those things for all the men standing in the room too. But today, for now, God, we pray for more of those stories, more of those encounters, more of those women who shift this world because of their encounter with you. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Thank you.